You're listening to the Driven by Design Awards Wrap. I'm Mark Bergen, the founder of Driven by Design, and joining me today is Christina Hart. Hi, Christina. Hi, how are you? Not bad. Thanks for joining me. Oh, sure. Now, listeners, we're sitting here at the Hudson River um, Community Sailing Facility. Have you ever been here before? I haven't. And this <laughs> is just fantastic. Back. Well, so listeners, you've got two sailing tragics here. Christina and I have worked out that we both love sailing. And uh, so we are absolutely in heaven. But we're here at the Architects Regatta that's taking place out on the waters behind us. And I found out today they're raising just on a quarter of a million dollars out of this event today um, for charity. And I think you know, charity and courses. That's astounding. It, it's, it's a great thing. Yeah. I, I, we, got, I, we have to be involved next year, I think. Well, I think that makes two of us that have to be involved. Okay. And uh, being around the sailing environment, it's a bit windy. So if you're hearing a little <laughs> bit of wind noise there, sure it, is. it is seriously taken off here. So let, let's get going. Now, Christina, you've, um, you've recently moved practice. I have. So where are you now? I am at a great boutique firm uh, called BG Studio. We're in Midtown, New York. Uh, and it's a wonderful 10-person firm, roll-up-your-sleeves attitude, an international group, a uh, great team of people that I think we just all really like being there. Yep. We like working together, we like the different perspectives we bring you know, to the table, um, and it's more about talking to everybody and really collaborating with them rather than a much larger situation or a much larger firm. I really found I was looking for more of that. I'd like to say back to my roots, back to where I started with, you know, uh, BBGM when it was a much smaller company. Okay, so you, you shared with me a little bit of the B, BBGM story, and you were you were explaining to me that 2008 was um, you weren't going to win a financial performance um, award no, in 2008, know, like a lot of not. us, yeah? Oh, yes, and, it was a hard time. And so 2008 wasn't great. Um, you had a couple of hard years. BBGM was then um, acquired by HOK. That's correct. You were there for a number of years, which is where we met through a couple of the projects that were in that's the awards. Yes, you had such a good memory. <laughs> oh, that's my job. Uh, I'm not meant to remember well, all this. I was, I was really, I was like, wow, that is great. He found me. Well, actually, I've got to go thank the team at LinkedIn. Um, the team at LinkedIn, they personally made sure that I could go find your information. Well, you know, it's becoming a more and more valuable tool, I, I come to understand. Yeah, so it's, yeah. Uh, it it's a great. really valuable tool. And, and actually, in, in both the Melbourne and Sydney Design Awards in the last two years, we've seen professional service firms go from having quite unadventurous projects that were coming through to some of the sharpest digital communications that we're seeing are professional service firms who know that the first place that somebody is going to go look is when they're on the on that one hour commute or that half hour commute home right. and they're on their phone and they're having a look at it, they're mobile, they're responsive sites and really any listeners who are out there who don't upgrade to go have a fantastic responsive website so that people can go look at their credentials. Um, you're actually missing out on business opportunities. That's a great segue because honestly, you know, as I come on board to BG Studio, we've had an opportunity. It's a pivotal point. You know, we're growing the practice. We came up with, you know, a new logo. We're implementing our new website in a couple of days. And it's exactly what you said, you know, working with the website designer, it's optimization, mobile apps, has to be, you know, has to look fantastic on your phone. It's, you know, that's, that's a design driven thing. 
Uh, you have to. I have had a look at the look at the site. Oh, and, terrible! Oh and, no, no, no! And and I've got to say that I'm really, really pleased to hear that you got a new site coming <laughs> Excellent. along. Excellent! <laughs> Excellent! Well, you know, I'll tell I'll tell Francesca that. <laughs> it, it, let's say it might be a little bit overdue, but it's coming, and that's the main thing. Now we've got a bunch of projects that we're going to have a look at here, as we always do, but our theme today is about collaboration. And in our pre-discussion, we were talking about the various types of collaboration that were there. And we've got the collaboration, professional collaboration between studios. There's a collaboration amongst the team in the studio. There's also that there's a collaboration with the client, which might be a co-creation, a co-design process that's in there. And then there's also the collaboration with the end user to go work out how that's working. So, so as we go deeper into each one of the projects, we're going to talk about that. And I also, I'm really thankful that we've got your expertise in the hospitality world because quite a few of the projects that we're looking at have that hospitality field. So share as many stories as you can. Oh, I certainly will. So what our first, an opportunity. Our first project here is the Fonsum Foundation in the Bund Financial Centre. You've been to Shanghai? Yes, I have. Worked in Shanghai? Ha we have. We've you done have? Some, uh, some notable projects there. So I look at this as being an interesting phase in, in Shanghai's history where for about the last 20 years, most of the projects that are, that are there are Western programs that are being put into, into an Asian city. This one here is actually, let's make sure that we're bringing in the traditional Chinese culture and make sure that that's coming to the fore. Now, is that, is that your helicopter that's coming that in just is, behind? That is, you know, they're, they're waiting for me because I have to okay. be whisked off to, you know. All right, well, we've got to make sure that they wait. So, listeners, quite seriously, we'll, we'll put a, yes. um, a picture on the, on the site in, in the podcast notes exactly where we are so you know where the heliport is <laughs> here on the Hudson. Now, in, in days gone past, that would have been the... The person who's now the president of the United States probably would have been coming right, in rolling and, in, and not and uh, yes, we won't go much further into that because I'm sure I just could get into trouble. And I do need to get across the immigration borders. Here. Yes, you do. So, so you better I be am careful. 100% supportive of the current president. But uh, let's get back here into the project. So the Fonsum Foundation here. Um, it's a project by the, the Bund Finance Centre. They got Heatherwick Studio and Foster and Partners in. You've got two huge brand name egos there. Yes, that's pretty amazing, first of all, to have that kind of uh, collaboration going on. Um, but I think two powerful firms collaborating can only get, if done well, and if everybody you know, can sort of put their little e the egos a, a little bit to the side, it could be so powerful, it could just, you know, just explode with something fantastic. If they're all both rowing in the same direction, let's say. Exactly. And so, you know, I suppose here we've got to go think of some of those recording artists that have had great pair-ups. And, uh, and we've wound up with an amazing act. Yes, yes, you're right. And we're seeing that the same thing happening on these other creative projects that are in here. Um, I think one of the things that I found really interesting with this was that they were able to work out how to bring at scale the, the expression of the project in here. It looks to me like they've manufactured these amazing pieces of bamboo, but we know they're not bamboo. Right. They're going to be are modern materials, but they have all of the aesthetic values of bamboo, but just on a mega scale. And so convincing, it really, it really draws you in. It's, it's fascinating the way at the same time it draws you in and frames the view. I just thought this was really beautiful. In our pre-discussion, we had a, a little bit of disagreement about whether this change of working out how to bring the Asian culture, seeing that in the next decade actually being about Asian expressions, a, Asian culture coming through in projects. 
And I know that you looked a bit surprised when I said, hey, that's a great period. It's going to mean that designers now have to stretch themselves to actually think about what is it that the client needs a little bit more, rather than just bringing a program from a New York context or a Texas context or a or a San Francisco context and taking it across there. Well, I think I think maybe you mis uh, maybe I didn't maybe you misunderstood. Or I didn't um, present it properly. Always misunderstand. Well, no, I mean, part of the hotel experience and the guest experience is always trying to be in the in the client's shoes or the or wherever you are is to be in the in the shoes of the location. So, you know, when we were working in China, that was desperately something we needed to come to understand. What I found was hard was becoming Chinese because, you know, I can, I, I can immerse myself in a lot. I can pretend to be an actor in the in the scene, but, you know, when you have to dive real deep, it's really hard. You do need to listen. You need to, you know, you need to become one with the end user. And in this case, or the client or, you know, the Asian aspect. Very tricky to do, needs to be done respectfully as well. And, you know, China has a lot of different roles and steps and approaches that you need to understand for you to be successful. So our next project we're going to look at here is staying in China, in the Chinese culture, but it's in Hong Kong. Have you um, been to Hong Kong? I've been to Hong Kong quite a few times. So I love Hong Kong because it's this blend of East, West, it's now picking up even more of the Chinese culture that's in there as more Chinese money comes into Hong right. Kong. Oh, that's an, it's an interesting, it's an interesting uh, mix, you know, because Obviously, when we had an office there, it was all uh, very international and very English. So this is great. This so is this thing. project here, Elephant Grounds uh, Mid-Levels, it's uh, done by J.A. Bespoke Architecture. Uh, they're just making sure they're telling you they have never done this before. J.J.A. Bespoke Architecture and Elephant Grounds. But Elephant Grounds to me is a really interesting coffee brand because it's DJ Poon is the man who's behind it. So you've got somebody who knows how to follow trends. Absolutely. And the zeitgeist in, in Hong Kong these days, it's not about ballrooms and hotels and warm metals and glass surfaces. It's actually about timber and coffee beans. And so the guys here at Elephant Grounds, they've really got the timber and coffee beans going. Well, what a great place to be in the middle of Hong Kong, you know, and they say this is located in the mid-levels, to be, you know, in the canyon of all those buildings and to be in something so warm with all the wood. I think that that's really a nice feeling. Yeah, and it's, on, it's off Cane Road, and Cane Road is, um, it's one of those amazing canyons. You know, there's buildings either side, it's quite old, it's a relatively small frontage, but they've been able to create such a huge volume by bringing in that single ubiquitous material of, of timber throughout the place. Looks great, lots of other little nooks and crannies there, but what I think is interesting is they're trying to go get people to have a new experience. It's not a Melbourne experience, it's not a Berlin experience, it's not a New York experience. They're having an experience which is their own blend. And I think that's very interesting to see what the team at Elephant Grounds have been able to go do here. Well, that goes back to what you had mentioned before about the Chinese, you know, becoming, taking over, doing their own thing and becoming Chinese. So it, this is just an actual extension of that same idea. Yeah, and I'm finding in quite a lot of the hotel spaces that we see that the boutique space that used to be there from 20 years ago is now some type of coffee intervention. Coffee's made it, to, it's made it all over now, you know, this is something the Americans are doing for years now. I guess it's going everywhere too, in their own way, which is interesting, maybe the Starbucks of, uh, of Hong Kong. Yeah, look, I, and, well actually Starbucks in Hong Kong, we, we've got them involved with the awards and in the next 10 years, Starbucks out of Hong Kong will be delivering 5,000 installations 
all bespoke. That obviously they've got a Lego mm. kit where there's you know common components in some of them. Five thousand stores in ten years. That's two a business day. That's crazy. I, I just look at that and I go, my head doesn't cope with that. And there's also the three grades. There's the standard Starbucks. Mm. There's the reserve Starbucks, and then there's the roastery that's in that. And I'm looking going, that is an amazing program to go and try and run. But that's not what the guys at Elephant Grounds are doing. They're still in that very boutique. Um, this, this is their third um, Elephant Ground store. But um, each one of them that I've seen, awesome. They picked up a Hong Kong Design Award last year. It's great to go see the project in again this year. Yeah, it's beautiful. So um, we're still in Hong Kong. Here's a project by Art of Concept Studio called Hotel 108. And the commissions of it are Easy Success Management. Now, I adore the names of companies in Hong Kong and also out of Taipei for the nominations we see. The language that they have, there was the Continuous Enjoyment Company. Uh, uh, somebody, somebody, somebody gave me their business card from the Continuous Enjoyment, the, the Happy Emotions Company. I've had all these, right. but that's not what this project is about. It's not the name of the company. It's actually about the quality of the materials that are in there. And the team at Arta, Arta here have been able to make sure that the interiors, I think we both spoke about this, that it looks like it's an art-free. Yes, an art-free. Hospitality space. Which is refreshing because at this point, there's a lot of art and art consultants and I love them and we do some really fabulous work. But sometimes people just throw art in places to have it take place. And this way, you're really concentrating on the materials. You're really looking at how the materials go together. What do they say? What do they you know, speak to in creating the atmosphere and, and the sense of place? So I think it's a really unique opportunity to let the materials bode for themselves and actually take up a lot of space and really make it feel larger than it might be because this is a, I think it's very sort of a small project. Well, we are in Hong Kong, so you, won't, you won't have a 400 square feet um, hotel room, it's probably going to be more like 200 and maybe right. 100 square feet. You know, these are quite small spaces that they're trying to go and give volume to. And by having that single material and actually expressing it further, it seems to make that room bigger. It does, certainly in this, uh, this one photo here, the uh, headboard wall has a beautiful articulated sort of soft, it's almost felt and sculptural. And so it's art in itself, but it's a finish and it goes uh, wall to wall and it really grounded the space and makes it look large. Listeners, I've just experienced a moment where Christina has gone into, you know, when a, you see a virtuoso violinist begin to play a piece, as she began to go and describe that room there, her hands began to flow. <laughs> there was a lady who was in flow. It was absolutely amazing. Thank you for showing that. We should film some of this, I think, because the way that you're expressing that there, it was so, so genuine. I think it's a great project here. But then we also find that there's I'm finding room numbers and room number systems and signage. Is, is that a new type of wayfinding in hospitality? I know every hotel I go to now seems to be trying to one-up each other. Yes, it's a new, it's a new concentration of effort. It's very, it is, it's, it's, it's great to pick up on that um, because room numbers need to exist and people need to use them, but we're trying desperately to integrate them, make them something fun but obvious, you need to have it be obvious because nobody wants to be searching. Uh, it, needs, it also needs to uh, cater to anybody with a disability. So it's a definitely a great opportunity to create another mood and uh, linking the spaces together and be something obvious and inevitable. But again, design is all about the details and it's great when you can get to something like this and do it well. 
So, are you a bit of a type nut? I, I love type. I wish I was better at it. You know, that's where I like to, to really rely on some graphics people in the office and, and I like to work, you know, what do you think and show me what you, you know, your, the different possibilities because yes, it can make such a difference having, you know, uh, sans serif or you know, something that's thin here and thick here. And it's an art. I mean, it's a skill. It certainly is. And the Type Directors Club, uh, one of our supporters here in New York. Oh, yeah. wow. And, and I nerd out. Every time I'm in New York, I make sure I catch up with the guys from the Type Directors Club. And they think I'm just a, a nice friend and a nice guy. I'm having an absolute fanboy moment. You, yeah. you've, you've got people who are making, they're making typefaces that you see and that you use. And at dinner the other night, on, on Tuesday night, I found out that there's actually this whole new thing that's coming through with one of the first things a graduate can, can do when, they, when they've left um, their degree is, you know, normally they're putting somebody else's logo on a piece of work, but now they're making their own typefaces and there's like the battle of the bands or, you know, that interchange between young creatives happening on typefaces. So anybody who's in the type world, you'll find out how to go find Christina on, uh, on the blog here definitely start sending her your type or send the studio the type because you're going to need something which is fresh it's a new material to go into into the property oh that is that you know that's that opens up a whole nother side of things. Oh my. <laughs> so oh. so when you've got your four thousandth you know piece of type that's been sent to you don't call me just call them back okay okay so, so this is a beautiful project there done uh, by artist studio we're now off to Glen Eagles Hotel. Have you ever heard of Glen Eagles before? I've heard of such a place. I've never been there. I've wanted to go. I mean, it's it's one of those ooh, ooh, bucket list items in the luxury, super luxury category. Well, actually, the team at Goodard Little Fair have been able to work out how to go make it even uh, more luxurious. I bet. And the collaboration here that they've got, so you've got a Hallmark des uh, travel destination brand. It's something that either through hearing about the Camp David type agreements. Glen Eagles has been a place that's been used for those European oh, right. agreements. It, so it's picked up in the political zeitgeist. It's also there as far as people in the sporting zeitgeist from its golf courses. It fits in the type of place that British uh, celebrities go. So there's a range of different ways that it's come into our world. So it's got that hallmark. Glen Eagles is a destination I'd like to go visit. But then they've also, by getting the team of Goodard Little Fair in there, who I think whatever paintbrush they have, it must have gorgeous um, uh, classic, must be the paintbrush they pick oh, up. Because yeah. the depth of these projects is astounding. It I, is. I'm a real minimalist, so my home is absolute minimalist. But I go look at these, these projects and I go, wow. They are awesome. I agree. I'm a little bit on your uh, side of things. I mean, not super minimal, but not like this. And this is, this is a huge, you know, huge skill. And so I think, I think that collaboration between the destination, the property owner, Goodard Little Fair, their suppliers, the artisans that have put this together, these are beautiful pieces. And whoever stays there, you know all of that investiture that's gone into the project is going to be present for you. And I think they tap into the history. You know, all those people are, uh, you know, collaborating together around a huge bit of history. And I think that grounds everybody in the same sort of circle. 
So we're going to now head across here, again in the London Design Awards, we're going to look at Hilton Milan. Milan's actually an outer suburb of, of London, really. You know, it's, <laughs> it's like, let's just go to Milan for the weekend. Yeah. yeah. Um, but this is the reception and, and lobby lounge here, um, done by the design team in London uh, for Hilton. And what's important is that they've also collaborated here with the Hickson Design Partnership. And this is something that we're seeing happening more and more for corporates who have internal design departments that they're having to go give recognition to their collaborators, recognition to the team members, because they need to grow the people that they work with and they need to grow the people that are working for them. And I think this is a great example of Hilton showing that they aren't just a monolithic brand, that they're actually showing respect for more people who are in their organisation. Well, and that, that, you know, that these people are helping make them successful. You know, all the talents that we bring, that all this this group brings to the table is is helping Hilton's business in the end. And when we looked at this project and we were talking about it, we didn't immediately think it was Hilton's no, brand. No, no. And that's great because what they're able to go do for the people who are the extremely loyal Hilton customers, they're taking them to a new experience without churning the brand. And that is a brilliant brand strategy that they've been able to work out. We'll keep the, the customers, we'll go give them something new so that they can actually choose a new experience with us rather than a new experience, a new experience with a, a different else. brand. Well, and Hilton's been doing a great job. They've been, you know, really expanding. Uh, they're, they're one of the companies to watch in the last couple of years and they're really stretching design ideas and, and reinventing themselves in every direction. So we're over here on one side of Manhattan, but if we go across to the other side of Manhattan, we wind up close to, to, to our next project, which is Maker Park here. Maker Park is in Brooklyn. Well, is it technically Brooklyn? Is Greenpoint Brooklyn? Uh, yes, it still okay. is. So listen, somebody who grew up on Long Island has given us the stamp that it technically is Brooklyn. I'm happy about that because as a foreigner outsider, I've got no idea. But Greenpoint, I took a, a walking tour out there on Monday and I wanted to go see what this site looked like as it is now. And what I, when I got there, it reminded me of what a lot of Manhattan was like before the um, Brownfield development sites came in. So it gave me a feeling of what it might have been like to be in the meatpacking district before the Highland project went in. It gave me a feeling of what um, uh, Hudson Yards might have been like before related projects came in with their, with their big steam shovel to go actually right, um, right. Make, turn that over there. But what is very interesting here is the placemaking strategy that's in place. And they've got the team at um, Studio V Architecture to come in and this is an urban design project. So they're saying, let's make the park so that we're expressing what the, what the experience will be for all of the other developments that people live in. It worked for the High Line. If you go think about it, the High Line's a yes. park. Oh, and yes. they made a park and then who can, I, I can't even afford to buy a coffee near the High Line. That's how, you know, it has been so successful. Everything has just gone bananas, I think is the technical term. But this side down here, it is, if you could imagine an ugly industrial site that has had no work done on it, that's kind of what this one is. I think And some, it's still that way. Like it still okay. is, it still is. So, so the vision that, uh, that Jay and the team at Studio V have got here, which is to go transform the space, keep the storage containers that are there, turn them into art installations, give people reward for going inside the containers. So because, you know, normally it's actually, we'll make the, um, a structure a billboard, but right. here the art is actually on the inside so that as you go deeper into the site that you're actually going to get um, more reward 
and a more fulfilling experience. They made it an outdoor museum, you know, uh, an outdoor sculpture garden. And, and these pieces. And I think that as far as collaborating with the community and the other developers. So you've got a capacity to invest in some public infrastructure that then turns around and creates future revenue base, uh, an increased revenue base for the municipal government. It's an increased economic opportunity for all the landowners. And it's also a, a new area for people to go live. Well, this is, I mean, this is extremely smart. Just hold on. This is that's uh, that's the 447 helicopter, Nick. Okay, so it's all of that great infrastructure. It's extremely smart. Uh, it's it's this is the kind of project that takes a visionary for somebody who's looking hugely long term. I wish I had more of this uh, because you know for places like you just mentioned, Hudson Yards, uh, the High Line, you need to go, you need to go 20 years out, 25 years out. These people have been waiting for this parcel for how long, for 10 years, to get the last piece, to be able to actually now move on this? That's perseverance. That's like the Lexington Avenue, sub, the, the subway that they just extended. These people have been waiting for a while, but somebody is behind it, like, you know, staking their claim for the last 20 years, shipping away little by little because they're not going to let it go. I thank them because it's something like Central Park too. You know, somebody had the vision and said, we are not going to give up on green space in the middle of New York. We need people like that. We would die without it. Yeah. And looking at the plans, there's no helipad anywhere near it. <laughs> thank so, God. So in the future, we'll be able to go record a podcast there. Yeah, no, the beautiful green space. No, it's fantastic. And, and let's hope that the rotors didn't actually drown you out a bit too much there, because you're exactly right. It, it is important that we go put those spaces in, which are public, public amenity. And if it's anything like I was across in New Jersey, which I think I'm allowed to speak about as being next to New York. Yeah, okay. It could be the sixth borough. <laughs> let's not go that far. Well, there you go. So, so, so it could be the sixth borough. We're looking that it is the sixth borough in this year's New York Design Awards because there's... And I only joke because yeah. it's, you know, we're all in it together. But when you go look at some of the properties that are being developed over there and you look at the way that they're changing the, the internal space in the apartments versus the common spaces, uh, being that gyms or oh. common dining rooms, and, uh, and I was just astounded and going, okay, we're now starting to see the Hong Kong density experience mm -hmm. coming into New Jersey, which is only two sub subway stops away from being, being downtown. No, it's very, very true. Uh, you know, the residential is booming everywhere. So I'm going to take you across to Sydney now. Okay. Uh, go, let's jump on one, one of, of these favorite, helicopters. One of my favorite cities. All right. So um, uh, we're going across to the Juanita Nilsson Community Centre, which is in part of Sydney called Woolloomooloo. You ever been to Woolloomooloo? No, but you know, I would love the chance to go back to <laughs> Australia and any, any chance I got. Well, look, it's really, really easy. You um, get the helicopter here <laughs> to JFK and then you're up and running. So this project here was a collaboration between Nissan Merkut uh, Architects and the City of Sydney. And what they were trying to do was stitch together two halves of a community, the traditional um, residents in the area around this site were generally lower socioeconomic dock workers. Um, it was a very poor area and then it had a gentrification lift because it was right next to the water and like everything right next to the water, why don't we actually want to live there now? Right. Yeah, that, that, that's not industrial that space, it's meant to be something else. 
But so they had, a, say, two chapters of a community and they didn't have a community space. So they've worked out how do they go bring a common space together for the events that will knit those two parts of the community together, which is creating greater depth of experience, greater bonds in the community. And that level of collaboration, that's a little bit like the park, the maker park. Those things True. can only be done through municipal governments. True. And, and it's a great way to bring people together. It's a necessity. Yeah. And, you only need to get along. And what I like uh, about this project is it's got a feeling of the modern post-industrial, but it also, they haven't gone and got the high-pressure hose out and got rid of all of the previous culture. So our next project that we're going to go across here is it's a western part of Sydney. So when Sydney was developed, it was actually as close into the ocean as, as you could be. That's what Sydney Harbour was. But there's this lovely river called the Parramatta River, and it's about 20 miles out from the centre of the city, but that's actually the demographic centre of Sydney. So you're finding more institutions are moving out there. Um, this particular museum, the Powerhouse Museum, has got a transition program, so it's a little bit like PS, uh, PS1 for a moment. Ah, oh, got it. Let's go and actually move to another campus, but they're taking everything. But before they do that, they actually did hear the out of hand materialising of the digital installation in the current campus. And what I love about this project is you've got curators generally want to go and make things feel like they're actually, you know, dioramas, quite relatively boring. You've got progressive curators who want to go and make them too technology advanced. And then you wind up with the, an environment like this where you've got the curators turning around and that they're able to go and actually place their objects in the space here, but it's an engaging space. It's got twists and turns, mm -hmm. and uh, as you walk along, you can't go see the whole display. There's hidden corners that are in there. I think this is a lovely collaboration here from the team at Lava and the Powerhouse Museum. Yes, the art is the experience, the progression, the, the, the walkthrough is the experience. It, you know, there's not one minute that you're not responding to something. It's yeah, and, and so I think, I think we're going to find, uh, particularly in hospitality, that some of the retail space that used to be in isolated boutiques will become more of these yeah, more engaging physical spaces that will be concessions where a range of people um, have their wares on display. And it may be that they're more pop-ups and they're, you know, even turning over. And it will give smaller, you know, creatives a chance perhaps to feature you know, some new products and things like that, that could be a great opportunity yeah. for things people. Things which, because it has to have that, uh, it's got to have a texture which isn't that this is a brand. The last thing we want is the chewing gum board shop attendee for something which is meant to be exciting craft or artisan wares available in the hotel. That would be a great idea. I think that we should. Um, all right. I, so I'm going to think about that. Like we're going to check we're gonna in. Check in. Do it we're, yeah, all right. So we'll check in and find out, you know, where do you go? I know Chris from Lava would love to have a conversation with you, and that could be how you get to Sydney and how he gets oh, here to New York. I, I think that's good. All right. All right, I'm in. So we'll um, see what we do there. Now, we're coming up to our last project here. How's it been going? Fabulous. Fabulous. It's always fun to talk to you, really. <laughs> so, I forgot how much I enjoyed this. <laughs> good, because uh, when I rang Christina and said, let's go do this, she did say, I've never done a podcast before. And I said, trust me, I'll go. This is a fun thing to go do. So I'm really, really pleased to hear that that's been fun for you. So here we are, we're in Western Sydney, and this is for the university out there, and it's wayfinding. And in our pre-discussion, 
I found that wayfinding may not be exactly the same or environmental graphics isn't exactly the same here in New York as it is in Australia. It's a little bit like interior architecture is a degree in Australia. It's not a separate area here. It's architecture and interior. There's no in interior architects as a degree here. Right, that's true. So we get those small differences. Mm -hmm. And when we went and we looked at this project, which was done for Western Sydney University in the, uh, by the team at there, which I think is a fantastic name for a company that does wayfinding, there. Yes, absolutely. Awesome, awesome work. That I love done. it. But we were having this interesting discussion about what happens at a university and the fact that they've got these um, flights of people who are coming in at different times a day and they need to work out these people need to turn right these people need to turn left and you can predict that traffic flow mm -hmm. and we we also went through and we spoke a little bit about where you know street signage fits in road systems and where wayfinding sits in public spaces and, uh, and Christina, you were telling me a little bit about where wayfinding fits in for you in hotel spaces. And what was your opinion? Well, my opinion was that, you know, if you have to put a sign up and tell people where to go, then you've really failed miserably. You, you're, the design of the space should lead every guest to where they need to go in, intrinsically. And it should be obvious and, and, and inevitable. And the materials should speak for themselves. But uh, And listeners, uh, this is kind of where the bubble popped for Christina and I, because I turned around and I said, well, I've got something totally counter to that. And, and we were looking at each other like, oh, we're actually having a mild disagreement here. <laughs> and the theory came out from the digital space where people, when they first did websites, it was like, we're gonna have the minimum amount of ways that you can click through to something. And there's only one place, the contact should only be in one part of the site because it's there. And when I was running my digital agency, I used to go and take my clients out into the street and I'd turn around and I'd say to them, have a look around the street and see what all of the street signs are. And when I got them to focus on, on the street signs, they were astounded how many times the same road, the same sort of parking sign, the same symbol was being presented. Because road traffic signs are for people who are lost or need reminding. People who know where they're going don't need signs people who don't know where they're going need quite they a definitely few signs. Need them, yes, so I right. suppose what we're looking at here for the Western Sydney University wayfinding is the people who are coming to the same university and going to the same lecture hall every day. Know obviously where to go. But then you meet people who work in universities and the most powerful people in the university are the ones that do the room allocations. Okay. And and, and they're fascinating and because we do a lot of events at universities, okay. I've got to know lots of the people who are in, in that room allocation space. And they say, don't speak to the dean or the provost, talk to me, I'll tell you if there's a room, then you can speak to the provost, and if she wants to go do it, it, we're there. Whereas if I speak to the provost and I say, let's do something, they get excited, then they've got to go find a room, they find out they really don't have much power when it comes to allocating rooms. So universities don't hold their lectures in the same space all the time. The same way as if I was going to the monthly women in architecture meeting, it right. might change room all the time mm -hmm. because we're probably a community group, we're getting distressed space and it's whatever room wasn't being used was being made available to us. So in hospitality spaces for those people who are infrequent guests and that they're coming in for a very particular sortie, and that's like I'm here for one mission, these sorts of wayfinding systems are going to be paramount. But I think as we were talking before about the type design, if I'm on my floor that I'm going to each day, 
it almost should be comforting the signage that's there, which comes back to the point that you had. Well, you want it to be there when you want it, and you don't. You want it to fade to the background when you don't want it. So the usual guest, you know, wants to not have that as a big highlight, and that's. A, I mean, it's a skill and it's an art. Honestly, you bring up a very good point. It needs to be there when you want it. it. Needs to disappear when you don't want it. And you can't overpower the rest of the spaces. Christina, I think we're going to leave on that. It needs to be there when you want it, and it needs to not be there when you don't want it. That is a beautiful way to go finish our podcast here. Listeners, I can't do this without the people in the community that collaborate with me, and I particularly can't do it without my design giant each week. So, Christina, thank you very much for giving me a hand. You're very welcome. It was a lot of fun. And it's the projects and the studios that have actually got involved in the community as well that we really need to go give a shout out here. So this week we couldn't have done this without the team at Foster and Partners, Heatherwick, uh, JJA, Arta, Goodard Little Fair, Hilton, Studio V, Neeson Mercot, Lava and there. Without those studios being involved with our community, we can't do this, you can't get the great information and as I always say, we're driven by design.